0: Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope, and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. So you want to open up to Luke chapter 22. We are going through a series called Renovation all through Easter. And The focus for us is during Lent, we're not going to give anything up. We're not going to add anything. But yet on Easter, we're going to have spent these past 40 days praying and saying, Lord, what do we need to work on? If this body, if this life, if this mind, heart, soul, strength is yours, if we are, as the Bible teaches us, if we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the temple of God's Spirit, the home of God where you choose to come and dwell then we want this house to be the way you want it to be because it's yours. So what does that look like? What needs to stay the same? What needs to change? And as we talked about, it's too overwhelming to focus on everything at once. So we want to spend these 40 days, 46 days actually, to pray and say, okay, Lord, we want to listen. This is your place. This is you. I am yours. So what do I do with that? And so for this week, I think we ran out of cards because they're not out. Um, But this week, the question is, is your heart holy? So that's the question. Is your heart holy? Um, But what we're really going to look at in regards to that with your heart and with your life is if we're going to rebuild, if we're going to remodel, whenever you get to that point, you've got to completely clear out the old. And I want to give you a little example of what I mean. So in our house, um, we have three kids and they want to be in the same room now. So we have like, the boys' room and the daughter room, and she's like, oh, no, 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 I want to be with the boys. And the boys are like, okay, sure, fine. So they're all in the same room, and we think that's really cool, because they're going to be closer until it's just not good, and then we need to split them up. But while we can, we're going to keep them in the same room. So we're moving things around, but when you move things around, and you're remodeling, like, I guess the pink bed can't go with this color thing, and the it just looks like a clown room, so... I don't really care, but we have to, like, paint walls and paint furniture and, and move it all into the same spot. But when you move, you can paint all you want. You can paint the, but you kind of have to clean up the mess that was there before. And so, for example, they've all moved in the same room, and then there's this closet. So the boys had this closet, and one of the boys, who shall remain nameless, first name starts with the letter Z, he has a, um, there you go. You're right, Caden, it's Zeke. Um, so now I'm in trouble with Zeke. And it's your fault, Caden, because you just told everybody. So, really, it's you that told everybody, not his dad. Um, So, there's this closet that's, like, this big. You can touch all four walls. I mean, you don't even have to stretch your arms out. It's like, oh, look, I just touched the walls. So, it's this little closet. And um, because he's the younger boy, he gets all the hand-me-downs. And then, so it's, like, a god-awful amount of clothes. And it's, if you walk in right now, it gets to the point where he doesn't always put them back in the things. And so, they overflow, and it's everywhere. So we're in the midst of trying to move these rooms, and we all just keep staring at this closet because none of us really want to deal with it. It's just too exhausting to think about. Um, and maybe your closet doesn't look like that, but your car does, right? I mean, most of us, we don't even go to get... We, we got too lazy now. The, car, the place to wash your car like so cheap. We're like, I'd rather do that. Get my oil change, and they give me a free car wash? Yay, Groupon, Woohoo! But the problem is you don't even get your car washed because the inside is so messy you've got to pull everything out before they can clean it, right? When you show up, they don't really clean it if you've got stuff lying everywhere. So we just keep putting that off because we don't want to clean that up. Or for some of you, it's your garage. Like, oh, I really should get to that garage. But it's just, that's going to be like a whole weekend. It's exhausting. I don't even want to deal with it. It's Like the more space you get, the more junk fills up. When it comes to what we're talking about now, When it comes to Lent, when it comes to renovation, when it comes to Jesus saying, I make all things new, the reality is, the nature, this is physics to some degree, you got to get rid of the old so the new can come in. And so, although we have talked over these past few weeks of, um, is your mind holy? Is your family holy? Are your relationships holy? Is your money holy? Is... um, Is your family holy? As we've looked at all of these, is your body holy? As we look at all these different elements, if God is focusing you and you feel like God is calling you to work on your body, um, to hand that to him, to eat right, to sleep, to take care of what is his, not yours but his, if he's putting the emphasis for you on your family, if he's putting the emphasis for you to work on what goes into your mind, if that's what he's working on, you can't start on any of that after Easter because you have to clean up the mess first. And we want to put off the closet stuff because it's just so exhausting. Yeah, but I've done this before and I think these things and I'm just, ah. So I'm just going to ignore it. or hope someone else takes care of it. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning because the reality is Christ has offered to take care of this for you. Not only offered, He's done it, and we just need to accept that gift, the gift of his death. This is Easter week, and on Friday is Good Friday. And my kids ask the question, "Um, wait, Jesus died on Friday. Why do we call it good? Isn't that bad that he died? No, because it was his plan from the beginning. He could have avoided it, but he did it to clean up the mess, the mess that we couldn't clean. You know, you look at your closet, you look at your car, you look at your garage, and you're like, it's just too overwhelming, I can't do it. Well, the closet of your life That sin, everything that is, you can't do it. It can't be done by us. It is a job that is not a human job. No matter how hard you try to clean up that mess, it's just going to be a mess. But Christ has taken care of it. And so as we look at Easter and Him promising, I make all things new. There is a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. The old has to pass. We have to hand that over. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Um, so if you could open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. And we are going to look at um, a critical time. We, Easter, you know how Easter always moves around? You're like, is it in March? Is it mid-April? When is it? You never know where it is. It's, it follows the Passover. And we've talked about this before, but I want to make sure that before we get into Jesus' words, we understand the significance of the Passover, the Passover uh, is a celebration. What the, one of the primary Jewish festivals celebrations, because they're celebrating their deliverance from Egypt. Moses leading them out of slavery from Egypt, and so they have a meal, a, a, a special Passover meal. We've done it before here. We do it every other year. It's called a seder, and it's um, it's the Passover meal. Passover is like their Thanksgiving. Um, They don't call it Thanksgiving, but they're giving thanks for what God has done, his thankfulness. And so they have these traditions, and they all come from somewhere. So, for example, in Thanksgiving, supposedly, I won't get into a history lesson here, but supposedly, uh, we had the Indians and the pilgrims, and then they, I mean, they had the turkey. I don't really believe that. They had um, stuffing. I don't know if they had ham, but there's all these things that we supposedly say came from that tradition and so we bring that in there's things that we do every thanksgiving that you have to do right so for example you cannot have thanksgiving without stuffing right like something's wrong like it's on thanksgiving we have to have stuffing none of us really know where it came from supposedly there was turkey you stuffed it but think about this have you ever had stuffing outside of thanksgiving any other day In the same way for this Passover meal, there's things they do on this day they don't do at any other time. And part of the meal is they'll have bitter herbs and bitter foods. So horseradish is part of the meal. Um, How often would they have horseradish? Not very often outside. But they have that to remind them of the bitterness of those years of slavery. So every piece of the meal has its place. They have unleavened bread. And for us, we don't use those terms. We call it pita bread. It doesn't rise, right? So for us, when we have bread, we want that good old puffy bread. Um, I know some of you with your pizza you haven't got the memo yet. You like thin crust. It doesn't make much sense, right? That's called unleavened. It doesn't rise. But for those of us that understand pizza, you want thick. You want you want the air in it, right? So, But they have unleavened bread that they celebrate. Why? Because when they were leaving, they didn't have enough time to wait for the bread to rise in the dough. And so they just had it as quickly as they could. Let's go. We don't have time. So during this festival, even though they don't eat unleavened bread at any other time, really, before um, the tradition started, they have what we would call similar to pita bread. Um, Another thing they have is lamb. They have lamb at this. So for us, it's turkey. I don't know when ham slipped in and now people are trying to bring in Cornish game hens. They're trying to change up the tradition. Um, But they would have lamb. Why? Because they were called to sacrifice their lamb and to take that blood and to put it on the doorposts. And by putting it on the doorpost, then the angel of the Lord would pass over them and their firstborn would not die. Now, I don't quite fully understand. This is one of my issues. I don't understand why God is always highlighting blood. I mean, why didn't he just say, now make sure you write on the top of the doorsteps or on the, on the doorposts, we love God. I mean, wouldn't that be the same thing, kind of? But it wasn't. I was talking with someone during the first service, and we were talking about blood, and I had mentioned um, the reality is blood freaks me out. I didn't know it freaked me out. I broke my wrist when I was in college, right after college, and I got this cast because they did surgery, and I was asleep, so they did the surgery, and they put the cast on, and then I woke up, um, and there it was, cast. And then they had to like halfway through to see how it was healing and the sutures were healing. They took the cast off, and I was like, "Oh, cool!" Because it's been itching. I want to see what it looks like. So I look, and it's you know this long old thing with stitches and stuff. I'm like, "Oh, wow!" And as I'm looking at it, I look at everybody else, and things start getting blurry. And then they're talking to me, but it's like a tunnel. I was like, "I was like, what's wrong?" And I started getting dizzy. I'm like, "I don't feel so good." oh, you, you must not like the sight of blood. I go, no, I'm fine. I've never had a problem with blood. They're like, you have no blood in your face whatsoever right now. You need to lay down. So they're like, T- I'm sitting up, but all the nurses are there like bringing me down. And that was the beginning of me realizing, oh, I hate the sight of my own blood. So when I give blood and they do it, they're like trying to talk to me. I'm going, I'm not going to look at you because I got to look this way. And it's just an annoying thing. But when I think of blood, we're not used to it. And when I talk to the girl from the first service, She's like, for us as a culture, we don't deal with blood that often. Not like they used to in generations before us. I mean, in history, the people always had to deal with blood and, and that kind of rawness. For us, it's like, put it in a tube, everything's white, we don't want to deal with the messiness. They didn't have a choice. Earlier cultures had to deal with blood all the time. And so blood is very significant. And I'm just warning you ahead of time. I was, I was concerned about this. I'm like, there's a lot of blood talk this morning. But for us to understand what Christ has done, when for us to understand what it means that his blood has washed us clean, we have to discuss this. We have to look at something. If there's anyone that's getting woozy, I'll be the first one. So I'll, I'll go easy on you, but I also want to make sure that we understand what Jesus is saying when he refers to his blood. So let's look at what Jesus says during this uh, meal. So if you have your own Bibles, please grab them, because um, I want you to have them handy. After taking the cup, he gave thanks. And this is during the meal, right? During their traditions. He said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Now, in the book of Luke, he mentions two different cups. In this particular meal, part it was very traditional. They had four cups of wine. So like certain times where you're supposed to eat this and certain times you're supposed to drink this. For example, we all know at Thanksgiving, you do not start with a pumpkin pie, right? Like that's a rule. The pumpkin pie is at the end. If you have it before, it's like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? The pie goes over on the counter. We have to hide it so that no one tries to pull the whipped cream off. It stays over there. You don't deal with it. It goes at the end. Well, these cups, there was a certain time for each of them. And so this particular cup, he says, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine the, until the Kingdom of God comes, everything has significance. The lamb that, that they had was a significance referring to the lamb. The wine refers to the blood, the blood that they would put on the doorposts. And so Jesus took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it. What bread? the unleavened bread? And he gave it to them, saying, "This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me." Do this in remembrance of me. Remember this tradition. This is centuries. I mean, for some say thousands of generations, they've celebrated this meal. Think of Thanksgiving for thousands of generations. We're like, not even close to that, right? It's like, not even, I don't even, we're not even at 300 years. It's, it's, I didn't really work on my uh, time and history for that. So we'll just forget about how long that was. But we know that for the, the, the Passover meal, for thousands of generations, some say, they celebrated this meal. And every time they had it, it was supposed to be done in what? Remembrance of the people of Israel being freed from Egypt. Now, Jesus is saying, Do this in remembrance of me. He's still there. So he's saying, When you do this, you're going to do this in remembrance of me. What's that like? That would be like Tyler. Tyler, our worship leader. Guys, don't know this. He doesn't know this yet, but next week he's going to get a ginormous inheritance. Huge. Billions of dollars. And so, what he's going to do, he's got it all planned out for this na- next Thanksgiving. He is going to pull together his sister, his family, all of them, every, you know, distant cousins. He's going to bring them all together. And in that period of time, you don't know this yet, Taliban. Trust me, it's going to happen. He's going to contact all their banks and he's going to pay off all of their loans. So, on Thanksgiving, he's going to be up there cutting the turkey. I know dad usually do this, but I got this this time. And so, he's going to be up there cutting the turkey and he's going, oh, just so you know, I. Paid off all your loans and all that. It's all been taken care of. So, this turkey now, from now on, every Thanksgiving, eat this. In remembrance of me. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, we really appreciate you paying this off, but you're not serious, are you, Ty? I mean, seriously? This is, thanks- like, this is awesome, but like, you can't just take over Thanksgiving. Jesus is taking, that's, he's not messing around. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, the second cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. This cup is the new covenant. What does that mean, a covenant? A covenant is an agreement, but it's a one-sided agreement. We never use the word covenant, right? But you know when you make those bets with someone. So, for example, if anybody's watching the basketball tournament, Um, and you saw Notre Dame and Kentucky playing, and it was getting towards the end, some people might have said, you know what? If Notre Dame wins this game, I'll give you $100. But they didn't ask for the bet back. Like it wasn't, hey, I'll make you a deal, I'll make you a bet. It was like, no, if this happens, then I'm going to do this without anything reciprocal having to be done. It was a one-sided bet. It was a one-sided agreement. A covenant is a one-sided agreement. And so Jesus is saying this cup Is an agreement in my blood which is poured out for you. And what's the agreement? That your closet is cleaned. That your sins will be washed away. As far as the east is from the west, so shall your sins, your mess be taken away from you. What you look at, when you look at your life and you know what can come out, it's not just your past sins, it's your current ones. And it's the ones that you're going to make when you leave here because we are imperfect. This is, we are, we are a beautiful mess. And God knows that. And for that reason, a price needed to be paid. And I don't get it, I don't fully understand it, but it's always in blood. It's been that way through the Old Testament. There's that symbol, that power of blood, where there's life in it. It is the symbol of life. And it has to be the the price that is paid. And even his own disciples, when he says, look, I'm going to go to the cross, and I have to die. Like, no, 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 no. That doesn't make any sense. Even they, even from the culture that they understood, when he was called, Jesus was called by John the Baptist, there is the Lamb of God. Go follow him. That is the Lamb of God that does what? That takes away the sins of the world. That's how Jesus referred to, because that's why he came. When we look... At Isaiah 52 and 53, when it gives the prophecy of the Messiah coming, and it says that he will be led like a lamb to the slaughter. That's why they brought lambs to the slaughter, and there's that symbolism for all of the people of Israel, that lamb. And every year, every year at the Passover, they would have this big festival, and at the temple, they would come to sacrifice goats and lambs. It was part of their tradition, but it wasn't, it wasn't the answer. It wasn't. It was a tradition. But Jesus says, in the same way, this blood, this is my agreement with you, and it will be poured out for you. And we're going to take communion here in a little bit. But as we take communion, I want to make sure that we fully embrace this. And, and for me, I, again, I try to avoid blood as much as possible. But the reality is, is that the Word of God always brings us back to that. And so I want to bring us to that right now. I want to try to put this in perspective. And um, if you've never read anything by Max Lucado, I haven't really read anything from him in a long time, he takes issues like this and he brings clarity to it by taking real stories from life and placing them in such a way to bring clarity and understanding to how God moves. And so he shared a story of a lady named Susanna Petroysen. Now, if you hear Petroysen, and it was actually pronounced correctly, you'd realize "Mm, she's not from around here. She's not. She's from Soviet Armenia. And she had a daughter. And her daughter's name was Gaini. And from this story of Susanna and Gaini, I can understand more what Christ meant when he said, Anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. So this is what happened. Uh, it was 1988, December 7, 1988. And she was in a wedding. She wasn't the bride but she was going to be in a wedding, so she went to her sister-in-law's house to try on the dress, and so she she went over there at 10.30, and she put on the dress, and it fit, and then she went to take it off, and so she's just sitting there um, in her slip uh, with that, and she even has the goofy shoes still on. I call them goofy because I'm a boy. I cannot understand ladies in your shoes. And so um, she's still sitting there in the shoes and the slip, and then the building starts to move. She's on the fifth floor, and that turns out to be the largest earthquake in the history of Soviet Armenia. And what ends up happening is that as it's shaking, she does what's natural. She reaches for her daughter, and she puts her arm around her, and they just start heading for the door, like, let's get out of here. Like, we're on the fifth floor. But she didn't even make it to the front door. She took a couple steps, and then the floor just disappeared. And she fell, and her daughter fell, and her sister-in-law fell. And when the dust had settled, she was in a concrete um, tent, she was underneath it there was a slab pallet of concrete above her and 18 inches um, around her was a water pipe and so she was trapped and she's there with her daughter and her um, sister-in-law did not um, survive the fall and there were 55,000 others in that area that also didn't survive and so she's buried under this and it's dark and what do you do? Of course, hunger kicked in. She ended up finding this jar of jelly that had fallen, and so she took that and, and her daughter, who's four, she ended up giving that to her, but that only lasted for like two days. So she went without food to save it for her daughter as long as possible. Well, after two days, she just like we're not gonna get saved, this is it. And so she starts thinking about death, and, and she said that sleep was her only escape. But she'd wake up because her daughter would be hungry or thirsty. Her daughter was cold. She took her uh, slip and, and made a little blanket around her. And um, I can't remember, some other fabric that she used to try to put under so that, you know, to create some kind of warmth. And it reached the point where she just kept getting w- woken up by her daughter saying, Mommy, I'm so thirsty. And that's when she remembered something. She remembered at night, she said. She said was in the middle of the night, and she remembered that television show. There was this television show about one of the the... Um, the army men, they were, in, they were in a crash, and one of the men, to help keep the other one alive, had actually um, opened up uh, his hand and was giving this other soldier his blood so that he could survive. And so that's what she did. She'd open up a finger and, and give it to her daughter and let her daughter suck on it, and then she would just kind of, you know, she'd get dizzy and, and wait. And then when her daughter she just opened up another finger and just kept going through that for eight days. Eventually, obviously, they were saved because she was able to share the story. But the reason I share that story with you is because that story does something for me. We as humanity are buried we 've got this mess all around us, and yet Christ in the midst of this, with his children being buried under this mess, say, "No, I got this. Anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink, and I know that imagery for us and our culture is like." Ugh. But blood is powerful. There is is nothing more valuable than the blood of Christ. That's why we talk about being washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's where those hymns come from. So what do we do with this? What can you do? There's really not much you can do except accept it. But it's just, you get to this place where you're like, really? I'm not worthy of that. Like, this kind of price paid for me? I'm not worth this. Remember when Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me? Jesus doesn't have low self-esteem. He's not like, hey guys, I'm disappearing. I'd like you guys to think about me all the time. So just remember me. That's not what this is about. It's so that we would remember how much he loves us. Who is going to willingly give up their life, their own blood for us? like a mother to her daughter, and God himself sees his children and sees this mess and says, here, take and drink. He gives us life that we could not give ourselves. Like a four-year-old child, we need Christ to come in and do what we can't do for ourselves. We look at the closet or the garage of our life or we look at the car of our life, our heart, and it is a complete yard sale. And we look at that mess and we're like, "I, I, I can't do this. And you know what? You're right. But Christ fully completes it. And when he says, do this in remembrance of me, he's saying it's taken care of. Or as Christ said on the cross that we celebrate on Good Friday, it is finished. And what we have to do is accept that. And yet we keep fighting this. We can't believe that we're worth this. We fight any gift that comes our way. We were just gone on a leadership retreat. And there were two guys at one table and three, three of the elders at the other table because the restaurant was so busy, you know, they couldn't finish on the same table. You know that experience. And so we're sitting there, and then we got sat down first, So some of the guys at our table ordered these appetizers, and then we saw them over there just drinking their water because they got nothing. And we're like, oh, man, we got to send some appetizers over there. And they got it. They're like, no, 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 don't, no, you keep it, you keep it. We always do that, right? Like, oh, man, they're giving us our own food. We can't do that. we got to send it back because that's how we are. And then we see something like this, what Christ has done. Are you like, kidding me? I can't accept this. There's no way that someone would love me that much. There's no way this is real. And yet Christ, time and time again, tried to say, look, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, referring to himself, unless I fall into the ground and die, I'll remain by myself alone. But if I die, it will bear much fruit. You are forgiven. Your mess is cleaned up. Christ came to die for us and he has set everything brand new because of that. Hebrews 10.4, I want us to look at that in closing. And in Hebrews 10.4, he's telling us, the writer of Hebrews is saying, do not trample on the blood of Christ which was shed for you. And I'm going to refer to another story. As you guys know, I'm not a big storyteller of other people's stories, but um, when, when they're right on, they're right on. And um, this one was also, um, this was a year after that earthquake, except this was in Ontario, Canada. And this picture helps me, and I hope it will help you, to understand the preciousness of God's blood shed for us. Um, It was February 1989, and it was at 9.15 in the morning, and um, George and Vera, and there's no way I can pronounce their last name, George and Vera got a phone call, and they got at their house, and it said there's been an accident. And they had one son, and the accident involved their son, Ben. So they drove uh, to the intersection of Adelaide and Simcoe Streets. It was right near the, the local high school. And when they got there, they noticed the photographer and the, you know they followed the, the lens of the camera and it went right into the intersection. And that's when she saw all the blood. Um, her first reaction, she said, was to jump out of the car and she somehow wanted to like pick up the blood and put it back into her son. She said it was irrational. It wasn't, but like that was her son. And she saw this and she's like, that's not where it belongs. It's supposed to be in my son. It's his life. And this is what she said about it. She said, that blood for me at that moment, became the most precious thing in the world because it was life. It was life-giving blood, and it belonged in my son, my only son, the one I loved so much. And the road was dirty like any kind of intersection would be, and they'd kind of cleared out the cars, and Ben's body had been moved, and so cars were just kind of going through the intersection. And George, the dad, like, just got enraged, Because he saw these cars just driving through his son's blood. And he's like, that can't happen. That's my son's life. It's all over that road right there. And this is what he said. He said, he wanted to cover the blood with my coat. And I cried, you will not drive over the blood of my son. And it was later that Vera described it this way. She said, it was then that I understood for the first time in my life. One of God's greatest." and most beautiful truths. The question that I asked in the beginning, why blood? Why do we need blood to clean up this mess of our lives? Why do we need blood? And she said this, because it was the strongest language that God could have used. When we do this in remembrance of him, he wants you to understand the power of how much he loves you, that he would sacrifice his own blood. It was the most precious thing he could give the highest price he could pay. First Peter says it this way, through God's amazing love, we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. I want to invite the worship team up. Um, I've asked them to play a song by Charles Wesley, um, Nothing But the Blood. And in that song, it says this, Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? And in Hebrews 29, and I'll close with this, it says what that story says to me, what George was frustrated with when he looked at that intersection at his only son. And it's what, when we do this in remembrance of him, when we take communion, we do this in remembrance and we're in awe of what God has done for us, what he's done for your enemy, what he's done for your children, your parents, your friends, your coworkers, what he's done for all of us that he's given what was most precious. It's the strongest language he could use. And Hebrews 10.29 says this, May we never treat lightly nor trample underfoot the blood of God's Son. So during communion, it's open to everyone. But not everyone partakes. And I'm not talking about communion. I mean, not everyone fully accepts this gift that Christ has given. But it's given to us, to all of us. And so as you do this, do not treat it lightly. But you are invited by Christ to accept his gift. And this communion that we do, just like the Passover meal, we do in remembrance of him. So if you could join me by standing. Let me pray for us. Father, um, this is overwhelming, and it is more than my words can address. And so instead, Father, help us to picture you at that meal, speaking to the disciples, speaking to us, reminding us, telling us to remember what you did and why you did it for us. Lord, guide us. You say you make all things new. Help us to accept you washing away the past washing away the mess that we are now and the the messes we create. And it doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem like we should get these second chances over and over again. But Lord, we accept it on the basis of who you are and of your love and of your holiness. We surrender to you and this truth in the name of Jesus. Amen.